Well, good morning to all of you online. Good morning as well. Uh, buckle your seats up. We're going to go on a quick journey through some of the scriptures because as parents, I remember when we dedicated Jason a long time ago. I remember when Jason and Lori dedicated their children. It's something that is ongoing in the lives of believers, and it's a beautiful thing because then children grow up in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord in a family that loves God, and he's available to them all the way through their journey. Uh, if you've never been dedicated, can I give you a word of encouragement? I was 30 when I was dedicated to the Lord. Um, I came to faith when I was about 28, and then by 30, my parents had come to faith. So I gave my dad a call, and I said, would you dedicate me to the Lord? And he looked at me and said, well, I can't hold you in my arms. He was five foot three. And so I went over, and I sat in between my mom and my dad, and I had them lay hands on me and dedicate me to the Lord. So just know that it's the intent of the heart that God is looking for. It's not the procedure that goes on. It's wonderful when they're little, but it doesn't matter at what age you dedicate yourself to the Lord or you have your family dedicate you. It's a, it's a wonderful area. Today we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we continue the series. Pastor Jason led us last week on things like humility and intimacy of heart with the Lord and how we walk that out. And I want to just add the power of the Spirit at work inside of us, because it's amazing what God can do. And so we'll look at the promise of the Father. We'll follow the disciples as they go through their journey, and like everything in our walk with God, there's always more. Every day there's always more. When you think you've arrived, there's always more. God is always at work inside of you, conforming you to the image of His Son. And so one of the first scriptures is found in the Gospel of Luke, and it's in chapter 4 and verse 1, and it's part of the process of the ministry of Jesus. For 30 years, he worked in his father's carpenter shop, and he just labored. He just, you know, because work is noble to God. And so as he's doing that for 30 years, that preparation time is never wasted time. And so God is at work in him to will and to do of his good pleasure. So whatever it is that you do, and you do it as unto the Lord, it's noble. And it's a place then of influence as you exhibit the life of Christ in your character, in your behavior, in obedience to God, and all of those things. But there came a moment when God spoke to the heart of his son and said, it's time now to go public. So he went from a private ministry to a public ministry, and he goes to the Jordan, and he's baptized by John. And in that moment, when you study the Scriptures, as Jesus comes up out of the water, a voice comes out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. In him I am well pleased. And then there's a dove that descends upon Jesus. And so you have in just that very short moment in Scripture, the voice of the Father the presence of the Son, and then the dub of the Holy Spirit. The triune God manifests so that we can see all that God is about and all that he is doing. And what is really wonderful is he comes the first time in the imagery of a dove. 
Now, how many know if a dove flew in here right now and landed on your lap, it wouldn't frighten you? You would want to kind of stroke it and just enjoy its presence in your life. It's different than in the latter times when Jesus will return as a lion. That's a whole different story. So if a lion landed in your lap, it would frighten you. But if a dove lands in your lap, it's encouraging that you can reach out and you can touch it. So I want you to keep that imagery in your mind because it's very, very important. Chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returns from the Jordan now and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. So there's something going to go on in the, in the life and the ministry of Jesus where temptation is going to come his way. And if you study that portion of Scripture, he competes or pushes back on the words of the enemy with the Scriptures over and over and over again. The devil tries to lie to him, and he says, it is written, and he then begins to proclaim God's Word. That's where you find you can be established in God's Word. And then as we go on in verse 14 of that same portion of Scripture, he's going to come out of the wilderness after successfully doing everything the Father had planned to do in his heart and life. Those temptations prepared him for public ministry. Those temptations showed him that the the Word of God written could be the Word of God visible. So the written word reveals the living word. And Jesus begins now in the power of the Spirit to minister. Verse 14 says, he returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So we see this natural progression, 30 years of faithfulness, Baptized in water to fulfill all righteousness, temptation for 40 days, and now public ministry, but in the power of the Spirit. So you and I will not be able to be effective in being Christians without the power of the Spirit at work inside of us. And so I want to walk you through some of the things in Scripture that help you understand how you walk in the Spirit, what that means. Jesus... When he goes public in his hometown, he goes into a synagogue, one he went into all the time. And he goes into the synagogue, and he takes the scroll from the attendant, and he opens it to the book of Isaiah. And he says this to those listening, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And so anointing is like having oil poured over you. You're set apart now. And Jesus is being set apart, not for private ministry as much as now for public ministry, to proclaim the good news to the poor. Who are the poor? Anyone who has not heard the good news of the gospel. Anyone who is just living this life for all that this life will provide. That's temporal. It's passing away. So we bring good news to the meaning of life. The questions we all have. Why am I here? What's life all about? And so he says, I'm coming to preach good news. Everybody say good news. The gospel's good news because it gives us an understanding of how we can live our life and how we can do that with a dove present within us. 
And that dove is the tenderness of God at work in us, allowing us to receive all that we need from him, but then being able to give that out to others, remembering where we came from and what we went through. And then he says, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Can you imagine from that moment in human history when Jesus says that, he gives them a checklist of what to look for in the work of the Spirit in the life of an individual. And he then sits down and all the eyes of those who were present were upon him. And he says, this day, this word is being fulfilled in your hearing. There is something about the nearness and the nowness of God in every situation you find yourself in. He is as close to you as your breath. You have a physical body. And when you are born again, you have a spiritual body. And that spiritual body has the lights on. And somebody's home. And the things of the Spirit of God then become food to your soul. Sometimes we can get so trapped in the naturals of life that we don't realize there's a whole spiritual dimension that brings joy and righteousness and peace and all of the things that human beings really cry out for. Matthew 16 says it this way, for whoever would save his life will lose it. So you have a whole world pursuing things that in the end will not really matter for much because you leave it all behind. And then Jesus says the words, but whoever loses his life for my sake, for my purpose, for my plans, for what I want to do in your heart and in your life, will find it. And so it's a paradox. It's a contrary message that we sometimes hear. The world says, do all of this and you'll have everything you want. I remember when I became a black belt in karate and I had spent six years almost every day, four or five hours a day practicing, and I did my black belt test. It was all over. I was congratulated, and they handed me a certificate, and I remember walking out of the dojo when I said to myself back then, so this is it. All those years, and now I got a piece of paper. Is that what I was really looking for? Why is there still something inside of me that says... This is not it. And how many times do people aspire to something, receive it, and go, hmm, yeah, there's got to be more. So in my heart, I didn't know it, but people were praying for me. That's dangerous. When people are praying for you and you don't know it, that's dangerous. And I had said yes to someone to go to a men's retreat, didn't want to go had no interest in religious or spiritual things, but I went anyway, and while I was there, I found out that people were praying for me and that they gave me a bookmark from Isaiah 43 that said, I've called you by name, Barry. Did you know that God is really personal? I love what Kayla did when she called out all of your names as children, personal, individual, God works in every heart, every heart, every heart, because he's a personal God. And so in all of these issues, the cry of the human heart is to know the meaning of life, why we're here, what's this all about, what happens after you die. And that's why Jesus says it's not found in natural things. 
but it is found in spiritual things. That's why he could say to Nicodemus, who was a searching priest of the day in the Jewish religion, and he came to Jesus at night, and Jesus said, you must be born again. You have to have your lights turned on spiritually to be able to even understand the things of the kingdom. And that's why sometimes when you come into a church service, you're in a sanctuary that is set apart unto God. It's set apart for the truths of the kingdom of God, and sometimes those clash with what you hear outside the walls of a church. And it's okay to have that clash because what it does is create searching in your own heart. And so when Jesus does what he does with these disciples, he continues on in Luke's gospel in chapter 24 after he ministers for three years with them, goes to the cross. They see him be crucified on the cross. He is buried in a tomb, and they think it's over now. We've wasted three years. We've been serving this man, Jesus, and now what are we going to do? They had heard him say, on the third day, I will rise from the dead. But how many know we can hear things and forget things? Life gets busy for all of us. And in the disciples, you can imagine the rage of the city, the Jewish people that were contrary to what Jesus was teaching, and they thought it probably was all over. So he decides to appear to his disciples after his resurrection, and he says these words, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? And why do they arise in your heart? See my hands and feet? It's me. Touch me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy. I remember my brother prayed for him for 10 years. And uh, he called me one night and he said, praise the Lord, brother. And I thought, yeah, sure, you mocker. Praise the Lord, my yeah, yeah. Because he'd always call and want money. He'd always call in a crisis. And at that time, I just was getting to the point where I just couldn't take those calls anymore. How many know you can be filled with the Spirit but not completely yielded to the Spirit? And so there were some areas of my life where there was a lot of cynicism going on. So when he said, no, 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 praise the Lord. I said, what are you talking about, praise the Lord? And he said, well, I gave my life to Jesus. What's the first thought? Yeah, sure, jailhouse conversion. Sure you did. Barry, yes, praise the Lord. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I said, okay, if that's true, then I'm going to look for some evidence in your life because you spent most of your life in jail. So I'm going to look for some fruit. Guess what? There was fruit. He changed his whole life by the power of the Spirit of God that came into him. And so what I learned is that I can be filled with the Spirit but still empty in areas of my heart and need to let God to come in. And so he came to faith. I'm happy for that. But that was 10 years of prayer. Many people were praying for him, and for that I am really grateful. So the disciples are disbelieving because it's almost too good to be true. What seems so impossible is now possible, and they're experiencing great joy. They're marveling. And then he says something to them, good Jewish boy, you got anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it, and he ate it before them. Just let you know, 
When you are a spiritual body in heaven, you can eat and never get fat. <laughs> Woohoo! And if he's eating fish, he's not a vegan. Just, just saying. He said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. So what's Jesus doing? He's drawing their attention to the record of history, the story of redemption, what God has been doing in the earth. And he draws them back to the law of Moses that they would understand because growing up, they would have had that memorized. Then he took them through all the prophets, major and minor, and then he took them through the Psalms, the books of wisdom, and he said, everything that's written in there is written about me. So the value of the Word of God is that the written Word always reveals the living Word. And you can open God's Word, and as you begin to read God's Word, He can arrest you in one verse that you just stop, and everything disappears, and you marvel at the awe and the majesty and the goodness and the greatness of the God that you love and that you serve. I know for me, it was July 4th, 1975, I met for the very first time the person of the Holy Spirit. I had been a believer for about a month. I had been reading through the scriptures. I gave my life to Christ. But then I saw the evidence of God at work in the hearts of others as they served me, as they cared for me, as they counseled me, as they were doing things that I needed in my heart and life. And as they did that, I hungered for what they had. And I asked the question, why do you do what you do? And they said, well, it's the power of the person of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. And I said, well, how do I receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, you just open your heart to him and invite him in. Remember the dove? Remember the promise Jesus said? I want you to wait for the promise of the Father that I'm sending. So, yes, absolutely. So everything that God does for you and for me is because of his graciousness and his love for us. That's what you and I have to come to terms with all the time. So he's walking them through the scriptures and it gives credence to the whole story of God now being fulfilled in Jesus, and they're starting to get it. And so every generation has to experience that. For me, July 4th, 1975, I invited the comforter, the counselor, the advocate, the teacher, the standby, the person of the Holy Spirit into my heart and life. And I started out with a little bit of filling in my cup. God began to start filling my heart and life, but I had a lot of things that needed to change. And so the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the more I would yield to him, the more he would fill. So when you look at the life of Jesus completely yielded, the Holy Spirit without measure. In your life and my life, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus, and that means we constantly yield areas of our life to him. And when we do, we find a new strength, and a new ability to serve because there's an area of our life now that was empty of his presence and now filled with his presence. 
and we begin to grow as God has called us to grow. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He said it's written that Jesus should suffer on the third day rise from the dead. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of all these things. And then, just think about it. They had spent three years with Jesus. They've heard him teach on every topic known to man. They have seen him by example and by word and by deed raise the dead, do signs and wonders, call nature to bow its knee. And the love of God was in action every day as Jesus ministered. And he's saying to them, with all those experience, it's not enough. He says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Let me ask you a question. When you get new clothing, ladies, a new dress, men, a new suit, when you get something where you're looking fine, and you get in the mirror and you wow, man, you got it together today. That's because you are clothed, and how you're clothed is how you see yourself. And when you're clothed with the Holy Spirit, everything changes. Your countenance changes, how you see yourself changes, and suddenly you realize as you go out in the day, you're clothed with someone that your actions allow them to see what God is doing in your life. And it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. So he said, stay in Jerusalem. Stay amongst the Jewish people. How difficult would that have been when they just watched Jesus in a city filled with anger and filled with rage, with an authority and government that would crucify him, with all the things going on in that city, and he said, just stay there. Stay in the midst of all of that until you were endued with power from on high. Stay there till you're clothed differently. And so they do that. Colossians says for us to set our minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. If your eyes are on the culture, you will be destabilized. But if your eyes are on the kingdom, you'll be at peace. It's called righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples found themselves... Even with all their experiences with Jesus, with everything they had learned, they were not going to just live by principles, even though principles are really important. They weren't just going to live by the values of the kingdom as they're really important. They were going to live by the person and power of the Holy Spirit to make all of those things that Jesus showed them and taught them real, to enable them to do what God had called them to do. Can I just give you 40 years of experience, it's impossible to live the Christian life in your own strength. It's impossible. You can't do it. Even if you love some of the principles of God's Word, it's not enough. Because God has a plan for your life, has a purpose for your life. And one of your prayers has to be, Lord, what is it you're doing in me that you want to do in me? I don't understand all the things that you're doing in me. Number one, he always conforms each of us to the person of his son. That, he's always at work doing that. But on top of that, he has a plan for your life. 
And he wants you to pursue him so that he can reveal his plan to you. And as he does, it becomes clearer and clearer as you walk out your day, as you trust him. It says the steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. So he knows how to do that in your heart and life. How many know our world is pretty chaotic right now, everywhere? So if I said to you, would you say the following statement after me? God has everything under control. Say that with me. God has everything under control. Naturally, you would say, yeah, sure. It doesn't look like he has everything under control. But there's something called freedom that God has given us, the free will that's in our hearts to say yes or no, to follow him or to say no, to do what he calls us to do each day or to say no. That's the genuineness of the love of God so that when you say yes to him, you see God at work in your life, in your family, in your friends. You start to see him and the control that he has in your heart, the evidence of that in the hearts and lives of those around you as you begin to serve. Because you don't forget, somebody served you, so everything is in your heart to serve others. And you can't do that in the flesh because you and I are selfish people. But when Holy Spirit comes in, he reminds us of all the good things that God has in store for us, and we become selfless. We start to serve others, and as we do that, God starts to fill areas of our heart and life, and we begin to see Jesus be conformed inside of us. So when you look in the mirror the next time, just remind yourself, I'm clothed in the person of the Holy Spirit. These disciples needed the person of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 2, it tells us that they were waiting in Jerusalem in the city that had crucified their Lord and Savior. They were in that city, and suddenly, everybody say suddenly, just like that, when you least expect it, God shows up and does something. So suddenly, Holy Spirit comes, and there's a wind that takes place in the room, and tongues of fire fire on each of them, male and female, as they sit, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Would this be the last time they would be filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. They're going to live a life where they're going to need the refilling of the Holy Spirit all the time in areas of their life that they keep yielding to God. So, in the Old Testament, we read about the Tower of Babel and the mixing of languages and the dividing of people, but here we are on the day of Pentecost... In the upper room, Holy Spirit comes and they all begin to speak in tongues. The unification of language for the sake of worship and praise and adoration towards God. As Pastor Jason said last week, there is no reason under heaven why this kind of diversity of people should be gathered together with the exception of Jesus Christ. So when they're in that room, they're focused on him, being obedient to his word. Holy Spirit comes, and they all begin to worship and praise God, and they realize it's not about being male or female. It's not being about Jew or Gentile. It's being one in Christ at that moment. And then Peter, who had been terrified before Jesus was crucified, after, it says in verse 14, he stood up. And he addressed all of those in Jerusalem and shared the gospel with them. And 3,000 people come to faith in Christ that day. 
That should tell you and tell me that when Holy Spirit's at work, there's an abundance of fruit through our hearts and through our lives. And so Peter from that moment was on mission for the remainder of his earthly life. He was empowered to serve others. So as we listen today and as I conclude in a few minutes, there are two kinds of mindsets that we all have to deal with. And one is a mindset of lack, which means, boy, if I give out what I have, I'm not going to have enough for myself. And the other is a mindset of love that says, well, if I can pour out my cup, I simply make room for God to supernaturally fill me again. And so, (laughs) yes, man. And so somewhere in your journey, God wants to teach you how to be generous in giving and serving to others. Generous with your time. Generous with your talent generous with all the things that he's invested inside of you so you can be a blessing to the hearts and lives of others. Without the person of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, you will never do that. All of you that have children, do you remember when you fell in love with the one that you love and you thought, man, it just can't get any better than this. I'm just so in love. And then a child comes along and your capacity to love increases. And then maybe another child comes along and your capacity increases again. Pastor Jason and Lori, when they kept reproducing, I thought at some point they're going to have to stop, but their capacity to love just kept growing. And that's how God fills your cup. He fills the capacity inside of you to keep giving, and the more you give away, the more you receive. The more you serve, the more you find out you are refilled for all that God wants to do. And so how do we do that? From Jude 20, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Praying in the Spirit. Keeping yourself in the love of God. Always remember the dove as the indicator of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of Jesus so that the love of God flows through us to the needs of those around us. Jude 22 says, have mercy on those who doubt. You were a doubter, and I was a doubter. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. I crashed my motorcycle one month before I got saved. One month, 30 days before I came to faith in Christ. What if in that crash I had died? I would have been lost eternally. I am grateful that people were praying. I'm grateful that they were praying, God, bring him to this retreat so that you can meet him. And God did that. And so show others mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And so we are dispensers of God's mercy and God's love. Jude goes on to warn us, have mercy on people with a healthy fear of your proximity to the flesh. How easy it is for us to get drawn back into things where we ought not to be. Keep yourself in the love of God. So God will refill you every single day. Ephesians 5 says, be being filled every single day. And you want to know why you need to be filled every single day? Because you leak. When you serve and you give and you bless, you find sometimes, Lord, wow, I gave out so much in people's lives. Lord, fill me again. So if you stay in an attitude of, Lord, my cup, the lid is off, 
And I'm ready to receive today everything that I need. Lord, pour into my heart and into my life because everything in me wants to pour it into the lives of others. When you do that, that's evidence the Holy Spirit is working inside of you. Tongues is just the beginning of the process of unity in the body of Christ where we can worship. It's just the beginning of Peter proclaiming the truth and thousands coming to faith. It's just the recognition that God is at work to do in you what you cannot do yourself. And if Joyce and I were to look back over our lives, we'd be able to say, Lord, thank you for all the natural abilities that, that you gave us. We have given them to your kingdom. Thank you for all the skills we've learned over the years. That's how, Lord, we have said yes to you. I started off in ministry through graphic arts and, and publishing. And God used it to draw me into the things of his kingdom. And so whatever skill sets you have, whatever the things you've acquired, whatever natural abilities you have, then the heart cry is to say, Lord, couple all that with the gifts that come in residence with the Holy Spirit in my heart, and then you will be a force to be reckoned with. And so if you need to understand more about that, there are power gifts that can work in you. There are love gifts. There are word gifts. And if you go to lifecenter.org, there's a whole series on the spiritual gifts. That equips you. And you start to see then the leading of the Lord in your life. I never knew that God wanted to use me as a speaker, as a preacher. Uh, that just wasn't even in the cards. I didn't even think about that. But I started serving, and when I started serving, God started directing. And when God started to direct, the rest is history. He'll do the same in your heart and in your life. So let me conclude today by saying to you, what started in Jerusalem among the Jews was not a stopping point. It was only a starting point. And that message then started to go out. And you know the story well. God spoke to Peter when he was in Joppa and sent him to Caesarea to be able to go to a house group and share the message of the gospel. And when he went, he found out it was a house full of Gentiles. And when he shared the gospel, they gave their hearts to the Lord, and they opened themselves up and said, we want to be filled with the Spirit. And so every time we go on a Israel tour, and we get to Caesarea, we say, Lord, thank you that the door opened to the whole Gentile world right here because Peter was obedient to serve. And then last but not least, when Paul goes to Ephesus later on in his ministry, he has a question he wants to ask them. And I want to ask you that question today because now you understand you receive the gospel and you understand you have to wait, meaning that you pause your life and say, Lord, thank you for the gospel. I can't do this on my own. I need the person of the Holy Spirit. And then you ask for the promise of the Father. And it's a gift that he's willing to give you. You don't have to earn it. If you're a redeemed believer, that gift is available to you. And so he goes to Ephesus and he says to the church, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed. And I would ask you the same thing, and you online, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And if you have, he's at work. If you haven't, today's a great day. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me.
want you to put your hand over your heart. Because everything in the message of the gospel is a heart issue. And I want you to hear it loud and clear. You are the reason God sent his son to die on a cross. You are the reason he sent his Holy Spirit as a dove. You are the reason and the one that he wants to work in to conform his son in you and then use you to be a blessing to others. And so if you haven't received the Holy Spirit since you believe, or you're at a place where you said, Lord, there's some areas of my life that I need to empty out so that you can fill that area of my heart. Lord, there's some struggles I'm going through, the difficulties I'm going through, that I've got my eyes on things that are not of your kingdom, and so my life's in turmoil. Lord, I want to be emptied in those areas and filled with your spirit. I want you just to pray this quietly in your own heart as I lead you. The same for you online. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And so, Father, as we pray right now together as a church, as a community, as a people, we have watched little ones this morning be dedicated to you, parents who are entrusting the preciousness of their child for you to lead them and guide them, but at the same time, parents committing to be examples to their children in word and in deed of what it means to follow you. And so, Father, today, we are asking as a congregation, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing today in whatever area of our heart that we're empty in. Lord, we give you permission to take the lid off the can and to start pouring into these areas of our life. Father, I, as a pastor, pray for the beautiful people of God that are listening to this message today, thanking you for each of their lives, knowing that Life is a struggle for all of us, but you promised the comforter, the counselor, the teacher, the advocate, the standby. You promised to give us the person of the Holy Spirit so that we would be strengthened in the inner man. We would be healed and restored. We would be built up and encouraged. And so today in our hearts, we say, fill me with the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen.